Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. The podcast rolls on this week with Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month, and today's guest is Mr. Greg Arcuri. Greg is a math teacher at North Pocono Middle School, and he is also the head coach for the varsity soccer team for the North Pocono High School squad. Greg brings a decade of teaching and coaching experience to the conversation, as well as being able to offer insight on a career switch that happened earlier in his life. Awesome conversation. I'm really excited to share this with you. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's start the pod with Blink 182. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have Greg Arcuri on the line with me. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And let's, as we do with everyone, dive right in because we have so much to get to today. And I don't want to spend too much time bantering here, but why don't you give everyone a little introduction and tell us who are you? Colin said earlier, I'm Greg Arcuri. Uh, I am a graduate of the University of South Carolina. Uh, sport and entertainment management was my major. Uh, you might have heard a couple uh, podcasts ago, my good buddy Jeff Barnes, who was uh, a classmate of mine in South Carolina. He was on here with Colin uh, doing a great podcast as well. After I uh, graduated from South Carolina, I worked for the Philadelphia Phillies for two years before I decided to uh, move back to Northeastern Pennsylvania and uh, pursue a career in teaching. And uh, right now I'm currently in my 11th year of teaching eighth grade pre-algebra and algebra one at my alma mater, North Pocono High School in uh, Moscow, Pennsylvania. At North Pocono, I'm also in my 14th year of coaching. I've coached a variety of different sports uh, that include soccer, basketball, and baseball. Right now I'm currently only coaching uh, high school varsity boys soccer, and I'm also coaching at the youth levels with uh, my two older sons in soccer, basketball, baseball, and just recently I am a flag football coach. Uh, so I'm expanding my horizons in the sports world. <laughs> uh, I've been married now for over 12 years to uh, my wife Sarah, and as I said earlier, I have two older sons and then two uh, younger boys also. Luciano, Gatano, Alessio, and Domenico. Awesome. So much to get to through that. And let's start with the athletic background. So growing up Northeast Pennsylvania, playing sports, tell us about what that was like, what type of sports you were playing, what your 
level of success was, experiences that you had, those type of things? Sure. Growing up, I played three different sports while I was growing up at the youth levels. Um, I was into soccer, basketball, and baseball. Really just liked uh, getting out there and competing. It didn't really matter what sport it was. We were playing pickup uh, football games even. Our family is a big bowling family, so uh, you know that's another sport that uh, we're into. And it really didn't matter what it was. I just wanted to play. But in terms of organized sports, it was those three sports um, until I got up into high school. When I got into high school, I really pretty much focused on uh, playing soccer. And I uh, had a pretty successful career at the high school level for uh, North Pocono in soccer. Uh, I was able to have the privilege to start as a freshman, and, and I started all four years of my career at North Pocono. Uh, up until recently, a few years ago, uh, I was the only player in the history of North Pocono soccer to start on two championship teams um, as we won a Wyoming Valley Conference championship my freshman year and a Lackawanna League championship my senior year. So, I mean, I had a lot of great teammates, a lot of great experiences, uh, some ups and some downs, but it really was a, a great time in, in my life to have, uh, you know, the athletics uh, part of it. So when you were in high school and you're you know, having success on the soccer field and you know, you're doing pretty well team-wise, individually and everything, were you thinking about taking it to the next level or did that thought ever cross your mind? What was that like? Yeah, you know, every time you play sports, uh, I mean, your goal is always to try to compete at the highest level that you can. And and certainly, uh, you know, throughout my, my high school career, there was always a thought of, uh, you know, getting a chance and an opportunity to play at the next level. When I decided that I was going to go to the University of South Carolina, I had talked to Coach Burson, who was down there, a very successful coach uh, in men's Division One soccer. Uh, I had gone down to his camp for one summer, um, and I had been in some talks there. But ultimately, when it came down to it, and I uh, got to my my freshman year of college there, uh, for me it was uh, you know I focused on getting the academics and focusing on that side because ultimately I knew uh, that was what's going to you know take me into my future and be something that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Uh, so it was really the uh, the academics that I focused on and decided ultimately not to pursue athletics in college. Did you ever have an inkling to get on the soccer field once you got to South Carolina? Was it, you know, you were pretty satisfied with your decision and you were just cool with, like you said, just focusing on, eth- or excuse me, academics and knowing that there was a lot in your future ahead of you? When I got down to South Carolina, you, you always think about, hey, you know, I can go out there, I can compete. Um, I know I got it in me to be able to be competitive out on that field. But um, I pretty much, when I made the decision, I was I was satisfied with my decision that I knew um, I was making the right decision, uh, you know, for myself and, and moving forward. I kept very active when I went to South Carolina in terms of, you know, going to all kinds of sporting events, participating in in intramural basketball and intramural football and intramural soccer and intramural softball. Um, so I was still highly active while I was in college and, and playing different intramural sports and then uh, in just going to the athletic events. But I mean, when I was there and I sat in the stands, um, I was definitely, uh, you know, satisfied with the decision that I made at that point was just really happy and 
enjoying watching the different sports. So you take a pretty big leap and you go to South Carolina from Pennsylvania, hundred miles away from family, friends, everything that you knew the first 18 years of your life. Do you think that your experience playing sports and some of the adversity that you had gone through in competition, do you think that helped you with your adjustment period? I mean, obviously you spent all four years there, you graduated from there, you made it through, but I have to imagine at some point it was probably a little difficult being so far away. And this is before obviously, you know, smartphones and social media and and those type of things where it was a little easier to stay in touch. So I'm interested to hear about what your transition to the college life was like and if athletics helped you get used to your surroundings a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, when when you're in part of athletics and, and, and you're part of a family in, into itself there, and uh, I mean, you're always learning new things from, from new people. And, and that's the, one of the great things about athletics. You know, the competition part is always giving you different obstacles to try to overcome. And, you know, one thing that, that I try to get across to my players and my students now is just, uh, you know, being able to be a problem solver and and attack those kind of obstacles with all the tools and resources that you have. So, you know, whether it was, you know, being out on on the field with my teammates and, and, you know, and trying to overcome a a one zero deficit or, or anything that, you know, you learn from parents, family and friends uh, growing up, like that all helps, you know, being so far away. Uh, when I went down there, and like you said, there was no smartphones, no Skype, no FaceTime. Back then, it was a lot of phone cards uh, that we went through to call home, talk to your parents, and, and talk to your grandparents. Uh, so it was definitely more difficult of a transition uh, than it is now. And I mean, that's not too long ago. That was only you know 20 years ago that that was happening. But definitely, a lot of the things that we learned, uh, you know, growing up and playing sports, certainly help in, in being here the transition and, and and move far away and still be able to make a smooth transition and, and make things work. So you mentioned that when you got to South Carolina, you still kept sports pretty close to you playing intramural and just, I know from knowing you for as long as I have that you love to watch sports as much as you liked to play in them. When you were getting towards the end of your academic career in college at South Carolina, what was the thought process for what's coming next? Like, what was your vision? Where were you going to go? What were you going to do? When I was graduated in South Carolina, I had secured an internship with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I had previously worked for two seasons with the Philadelphia Phillies AAA affiliate, the scranton Wilkesbury Red Barons. I really enjoyed working in the baseball aspect. So I thought when I had secured that internship, you know, this is a great opportunity involved with sports the Phillies were a a team that you know I loved growing up still love now so I thought this was you know a perfect match made in heaven baseball is a grind though as much as it's a grind on the players for 162 games it it is a grind on on the workers uh you know showing up at the baseball field on a on a home game you're showing up at 7 38 o'clock in the morning you're not leaving until sometimes 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, and you're waking up and you're doing it again, and uh, you're doing it for a 10, 11, 12-game homestand. It gets very hard, but it was still something that I, I really enjoyed and I really loved. Um, but then it got to a point where you know I really needed to make a decision for myself and my family. I had gotten engaged while I was down in Philadelphia, 
and uh, I needed to decide something that was really, you know, be in the best interest of myself and my fiance, now wife, at that time. And, and for me, it was to, uh, you know, to look at something uh, a little bit different outside of professional baseball. And uh, that's how I got into uh, teaching. So we have these type of conversations, or I have these type of conversations with a lot of my guests where we go through different career paths and realize that pretty much everybody doesn't take a straight linear path towards quote unquote success, however you look at that or however you define it. And your path is no different. It's the same as mine. I kind of went up and down and was trying different things. You you started with the Phillies and then you came back and I know that you had to basically you had to start all over again. Like you had to get a new degree in order to teach and you had to really just grind through it to get to the point where you were like, okay, teaching is what I want to do long-term. It can secure a lot of the things that you were looking for, but I'd have to imagine that was still probably a pretty difficult thing to do pride wise. And just knowing that you had to do all that work all over again. So I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts about it and how you were able to get through it all. First of all, as a math teacher, I truly appreciate the fact they use the word linear. Uh, <laughs> that is an ex- excellent terminology. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, having to transition and, and go back to school. I mean, when I graduated from the University of South Carolina, one thing I thought I was never going to do was, you know, go back to school. I thought my days of being inside a classroom were over. And now I'm in a classroom every single day. And I, I love every minute of, of what I do. But you know, having to go back two and a half more years of, of schooling. Uh, but every time that, you know, I stepped foot into the classroom to, uh, you know, to take another class, I knew that I was really building uh, towards my future of, you know, eventually having a family, you know, being able to, to have opportunities to, to do things with, with those guys. So it definitely was a, a different kind of transition, you know, going back to school. And when I was in, in high school, I had a teacher in an accounting class that said to me, hey, you should be an accountant. You're really good with numbers. And I told her very specifically, I didn't want to deal with numbers for the rest of my life. And here I am as a math teacher, and I got numbers running through my head all day long, every day. It doesn't matter whether I'm in school or out of school. Um, I have numbers that go through my head all the time. So uh, it was definitely a different transition, but it was something that, you know, the end product is something that you know, really gave me drive to continue and go through and, you know, work a full-time job, uh, you know, take full-time classes, commuting, you know, all the way up to East Stroudsburg University. Um, but I really knew the there was going to be a great payoff in the end for me. So obviously your job today entails a lot of numbers, which is something that you mentioned that you really enjoy about the work that you do, but the teaching specific part of it, I mean, taking yourself back 10 plus years when you had that vision for what you were going to do and what it was going to look like. I mean, what about teaching specifically really spoke to you and said, Hey, I can do this potentially for the rest of my working career. Uh, I mean, I just like interacting with, uh, with the students and knowing that I'm, I'm helping them become better people, better mathematicians, hopefully, but, but really better people. You know, I actually, when I worked for the Philadelphia Phillies, we had something uh, that was in a program where we worked with inner city programs within Philadelphia. And that was kind of my first dive into the teaching realm. That particular year, we were actually doing a lot on 
the movie a league of their own and we were teaching the kids about the women's professional baseball league so uh that was kind of my first uh you know job uh in terms of teaching and then when i thought about it i was like i i, I really like this i knew i kind of wanted to get myself into coaching as well again just for my passion of being able to uh you know teach uh kids something that i love uh which is you know mathematics and in sports so for me it was really just you know being able to see you know helping students grow as as young adults you know helping them grow in their problem uh solving skills and critical thinking skills you know just things that are going to help them for their future become very successful yeah so let's talk about some of the coaching then and i want to start very simple how do you get into coaching like what's the process to make yourself a qualified individual to be a coach my process is a little bit different from others. Uh, it was kind of on a whim where uh, my buddy was a head coach of the junior high soccer team at North Pocono. Uh, he kind of said, hey, you want to uh, you know, get into coaching? I got a volunteer opportunity here for you. And I said, sure. And, uh, you know, long behold, halfway through the season, he ends up getting a, a principal from he left his teaching position to become a principal. And I ended up taking over as the head coach that year, and I moved forward uh, from there. As far as young people trying to get into coaching, just look for any opportunity. You know, as a volunteer coach, even if you're not getting paid, what you learn and, and knowledge from the, the coaching staff is, uh, you know, things that, that'll be a huge payoff for you uh, in the long run. Right now in the state of Pennsylvania, they're really doing a, a great a great job with now making all coaches be certified coaches. Uh, so you do have to take a, a coaching course. So a lot of new coaches that are trying to get into it, you get to learn a lot of new ideas from other coaches. Because one of the, the great thing about coaching and teaching is, you know, you can take things that other coaches and other teachers are doing well and you can use them. And that's what they want you to do. Uh, so you can be successful as well. So Pennsylvania is doing a, a great job being very forward in the fact that they want highly highly qualified coaches versus just uh, you know people coming in that saying hey I think I can coach because really there's so much more to it than just going out there and, and teaching X's and O's uh, you know of the sport that you're in there's just you know a lot to do with it especially the higher uh, level you're up you know with dealing with recruiting and and, and those different aspects and being able to work with administration and, and other coaches to to work things out. So there's a lot more to it than just, you know, teaching the sport that you may love. So for sure, any new coaches, just, you know, try to get yourself involved in a, in a volunteer aspect if there's nothing available for you and, uh, and try to learn as much as possible. I want to focus on the part where you said there's so much more to coaching than just X's and O's. And I'd love to get your perspective on your experiences and what it's been like and how that Maybe that thought process has evolved for you over the years. Maybe when you first got into coaching, it wasn't so much that, and now it's you know more of that thinking. So when you say that it's more than X's and O's, can you dive deeper into exactly what that means and how you go about that? I mean, for me, I'm constantly learning. I'm always trying to develop myself as a coach. 365 days a year, I'm doing something involved with coaching whether it's, you know, reading books, reading online articles, anything that has to do with coaching. And it doesn't matter the sport for me. 
I just want to learn as much as I can. I, I remember interview that Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells had back when they were both coaching at West Point. The two of them said they used to just sit down and talk coaching. They never talked specifics about football. They never talked specifics about basketball. They just talked about coaching kids in general. And that's what it is for me. It doesn't matter what sport I'm trying to learn from. I know I can always take something from any sport or from any coach. So I'm always trying to better myself uh, as a coach so I can pass that on to my players. And uh, like I said, for me, I'm always just trying to best prepare my players for any situation that can arise. So for me, you know, being able to teach them, uh, you know, the mental aspect of the sport, not just the physical aspect of the sport, you know, that's a big part of it too. So, you know, I'm always trying to learn and better myself so that um, I can make my players, uh, you know, the most productive that they can be when they're on and off the field. Do you think that it's pretty common that other coaches are like that where they're collaborating like Bobby Knight and Bill Parcells were like that the approach that you have and that's the way that you want to do it? Or do you get some resistance from coaches who maybe they think that you're going to steal their secrets or they're just not open to it for whatever reason? What does that look like? Um, I would hope more people are open to it, but I don't know for sure. I know in the group that I coach with and within our league for high school soccer. Um, a lot of the guys are guys who I played against or guys who I actually coached. So we're a pretty tight-knit group. We're always talking to each other about different things that we do. Some of the coaches in our high school league coach my players at camps and at travel leagues. Um, so I know that you know they're getting quality coaching uh, outside of me, and, and I know those guys aren't afraid to – teach what they're teaching to their high school teams to my players as well just because they want overall we just want the quality of, of soccer here in northeastern pennsylvania for us to be the best that it can be and to share our tips or our our knowledge with uh you know coaches or, or players from other teams that goes to show you the you know the integrity for the game that the other coaches have um i'll be bringing in a a coach from down near the philadelphia area area in July to work with my team you know he talked to me about the same thing he said sometimes there is a resistance among coaches that you know their way is the way and they don't want anyone else coming in for me I just want as much knowledge to be passed on to my players as possible um, it doesn't matter where that knowledge is coming from so you know it, there still is that resistance but I think people uh, are definitely more open to you know collaborating and talking and, and helping one another out the other thing that you mentioned in the realms of the coaching world that probably go unnoticed or maybe they are underappreciated is how, as a coach, you have to work the recruiting channels with college coaches and with your athletes at the high school level and build those relationships and help those pipelines grow. Give us a little inside look into what that looks like. I mean, you know, soccer is not obviously as big as football or basketball, but there's still, I'm sure, a lot of kids that go to play Division One soccer from your programs, and there's a lot of coaches out there that are trying to get the best players. So it's still probably a very competitive process, and I'd love to hear from your side of things how the recruiting process is and what your approach to it all is. Here in our league, in our area, we, we, have a, we do a great job with putting on different seminars, just trying to get as much information available 
to parents and the athletes as young as they can go. Like we start asking eighth graders and ninth graders, you know, to go because nowadays, unfortunately, you see a lot of kids making verbal commitments after their freshman year or sophomore year. Uh, they're making verbal commitments to schools um, and the recruiting process is starting so much earlier. One thing in the world of soccer is uh, club soccer uh, has gotten so huge and actually takes up such a large chunk of, of the year anymore. The recruiting process when it comes to a high school coach isn't as great as what it used to be, especially in the sport of soccer. I certainly get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls from coaches just saying, you know, hey, here's an opportunity we have. They have things in soccer that are called ID camps where players can go to a, a camp usually one, two, or three days, and there are anywhere from 20 to 25 to 30 different college coaches that are at the camp. Players get to see what it's like to train as a college-level player. They take them through you know, different weight training programs. They're showing them you know, the weight room. This is what they do in the weight room. You know, this is the nutrition uh, program that we're on. So the ID camps have been really helpful and successful. They also allow coaches like myself to be able to go there. We want it just to be able to see so we can pass that kind of knowledge onto our players as well as to say, hey, this is what it takes to be at the next level. So for me, you know, I deal with a lot of uh, coaches just to kind of put them, you know, in contact or talk to them about, you know, different players that I have. But really the, the main recruiting for, for, for soccer is coming at the club level, not as much at, at the high school level. Do you think because of that switch and it may be too early in the process, like I know back in New York and Syracuse with hockey, that type of thing had happened long before I even gotten into high school. And what it did was take away a lot of the best players in my high school to play for our high school hockey team. And instead they were just playing the club. Does it take away from the student's ability to continue to play soccer by having to play on these competitive club teams to get recognized, to get recruited, or are they able to balance both and be able to do both? In our area, we haven't seen that. U.S. soccer made a huge change a few years ago in that the club soccer schedule now runs from August through May. And really, June and July are the only two months of the year that it's off. So we thought at that point we were going to see some kind of drop in our players now having to commit themselves to their club team in August, taking away from their high school teams. But we didn't see a drop off at all. Uh, we still have some athletes that are playing high school, but still go and travel on the weekends and play in a, a tournament with their club team. But as far as losing any players to just strictly playing club soccer, I'm sure in other parts of the uh, United States that is happening, but it has not happened in our area. Our top level players are still playing with their high school teams before moving on to their club team uh, once the season completes or maybe possibly playing in a, a tournament throughout the, the season. Very cool. And I love the concept of that ID camp that you talked about. I've never heard of that before, but I think it's such a 
cool opportunity for the student athletes to get a chance to see what life is like at the next level and see if that's something that they really want to put themselves through and that they can actually do. And I think that's something that hopefully all the other sports have picked up on and maybe do something similar, but I've never heard of that before. So that was a really cool nugget that you shared. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Stott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now. And when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Teaching and coaching, there's a lot of similarities, right? What do you think is the biggest difference between the two that's a that's a tough question because so much what i do in the teaching classroom i transfer and take right into whatever sport i'm coaching at the time and then a lot of what i do coaching i bring back into the classroom because when it when it all comes down to it and like i said earlier for me i'm trying to teach two things to my students and my players I want them to be really good problem solvers, and I want them to be really good critical thinkers. And inside the classroom, we're learning to do that through mathematics. And, uh, you know, my passion of of math, I I try to help them in those two aspects through math. And then whether it's on the soccer field or the basketball court or, or the baseball diamond and now the flag football field, I'm trying to do the same with them there. I'm trying to give them tools to help them become great problem solvers and great critical thinkers. And, and we're giving them those tools through those different sports. When, when it comes down to it, whether these, you know, these guys are going to go on to college, whether they're going to go into the military, whether they're going to go into the workforce, whatever they may do after they leave me, I want to make sure that I made them a better problem solver and a better critical thinker, because those are two things that are going to help them in whatever aspect of, of life they, they choose to, to go into. So for me, I mean, it, it's really a direct correlation for the difference between one one is inside and usually one is outside, unless I'm coaching basketball. But it, I mean, it's really a direct relationship between the two. It's just, you know, trying to make kids become uh, uh, better people and, and, and productive. So staying on the similar course of that conversation, what would you say is as either a teacher or a coach or maybe both, since they are so directly correlated for you, what would you say is the most challenging part of your job? Just trying to to get the kids sometimes just to be highly motivated as you are in that topic. Obviously on the sports side of things, the kids are there because they want to be there. They choose to play that sport, whereas when it comes to uh, teaching and math, they're there because it's part of their curriculum. Um, so I just want them to, you know, to really be as motivated and as excited about, you know, the subject as I am. I, I like to be a little goofy sometimes in class, tell a couple jokes, and just try, you know try to lighten the mood and, and, and make sure that these guys um, are able to, you know, be themselves. They see me be myself, and maybe that'll help them become more excited in math you know I, I've gotten a few emails this year and a few emails over the you know the past couple of years or 
voicemails or face-to-face conversations that just said, I don't know what you're doing, but my son or my daughter really enjoys math this year. And when I hear those kind of things, then I really know that, you know, what I'm doing is is truly justified, that I know that I am, uh, you know, reaching out to, let's face it, eighth grade math is not always the most popular or most fun subject, but I want it to be. Um, I want it to be because I want these kids to have a passion like I have a passion. And like I said, I just want them to be, uh, you know, better young adults. and, And hopefully we learn that through the mathematics. So the flip side of that is obviously what is the best part of your job then? Just seeing the kids interact, seeing the kids uh, talk math, seeing the kids talk soccer. I just like seeing the kids be, uh, you know, involved with, you know, the sport or the subject as, as, as much as I like to be. So I just like to see, you know, when kids walk out, they have a smile on their face that they enjoyed class that day or they enjoyed practice or they enjoyed the game. Like I said, for me, I just want the kids to be successful in whatever they do. Um, And I'm helping them and trying to give them tools to be successful, you know, through the world of math, through the world of soccer, basketball, baseball. So I just want them to uh, to have fun and uh, hopefully they learn a little bit uh, along the way. Now that you have taken your career path to where it is and you can look back and reflect and learn from your successes and learn from maybe some of the mistakes you made along the way. If you could talk to a college junior, let's say that's getting ready and is thinking about what's coming next, whether they're playing sports or not. And let's just say that sports isn't in the forecast for their future. They have to transition to the business world. They have to figure out if they're going to go continue their education, get an MBA, something like that. What piece of advice would you give someone who's, whether they're at that level or maybe they're thinking about a career change like you did, how do you help people through the transition period or how can we help people better through this transition period, given what your experiences are and what you've learned? The main thing to focus on is to just, you know, look back at to what you've learned from athletics and try to apply that to, you know, your life whatever the, the new job may be, or whether you're going back to school, there's so many lessons that you've learned. And maybe you have to sit down and, and write down some things. That's, you know, being able to reflect back and, and write things down is is a great tool, a great uh, resource to utilize. But you might not even realize how many things that you've learned, you know, whether working together, overcoming adversity, you know, meeting and learning new people, learning from people. So, so much of what you've done, you know, in your athletic career can can correlate to off the field. Um, So being able to to take all those experiences and and utilize those to the best of your ability, everything that you've done in sport um, is just geared around being able to to work together, even in an individual by sport, there's still some capacity of having to, to work with people. Um, so taking all those all those things that you've learned in your past and, and being able to utilize those to, to grow and move forward, there's still going to obviously be an opportunity, even if you're not uh, continuing uh, your own athletic career to be a part of sport, whether it's like what I'm doing now with coaching and being involved. There's just so much that you can still do to be involved 
So really just try to capitalize on, on what you've learned from uh, your previous experiences in athletics. So last thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the learning and development phase of the conversation is a little bit about how you personally balance everything with work, full-time job, being a teacher, part-time, maybe full-time job at some points, coaching as well, and then another full-time job on top of that, having four kids and how you and Sarah make all that work and what that balance looks like and how you're able to still enjoy your own life, but still be able to help as many people as you have over the years. Have a great large calendar. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's definitely, it gets hectic. I mean, right now we only have two boys involved in sports, but coming this fall, we'll be adding Alessio into that world uh, as he'll be starting his first uh, soccer team uh, in the fall. So, you know, there's going to be a time when it's, you know, four kids going in sports, Sarah's working full-time, I'm working full-time. Whatever I'm doing, I just try to put myself, you know, 100% into whatever it is. You know, when I'm at my time at school with the kids, uh, you know, from 7.30 to 2.45 every day, you know, I just try to 100% commit myself uh, to those kids and, and what their needs are in that situation. You know, at 2.45 during the soccer season when I break out and it's, you know, time for soccer practice, you know, I'm trying to 100% commit myself, you know, into to being the best soccer coach that I can be. And then when that time comes, you know, when I come home and, you know, now it's time to, to be dad with the, the boys and, and uh, you know, enjoy that time. You know, it's, it's great. My four boys have a, you know, a great time coming, especially in the summer to the soccer field with me. It's been such a blessing to be able to coach the high school athletes that I coach who are like big brothers, you know, 40 big brothers to to my kids. They've been so receptive to to my boys and and my family that it's, you know, it makes me really proud as as their coach to be able to have them as an extended family for my boys to learn from. Uh, My boys certainly uh, look up to all of them. So Whatever I'm doing, whether it's coaching or, or just being at home with them, uh, I try to put myself 100% into it. It gets very, very hectic, but somehow, some way, uh, you know, we figure out a way to make it happen. Sarah's uh, obviously excellent with being able uh, to adapt and take the kids to, you know, where they need to be if I'm coaching at, at soccer. Um, so obviously, I Having someone like her around, it's uh, it is absolutely a true blessing because she is, uh, you know, wonderful and being able to to help out in the sports aspect when I'm not able to be there during the soccer season. Yeah, shout out to Sarah. I'm sure she's gonna love listening to this part of the podcast and get a kick out of it as well. But I want to move on to the learning and development portion of our conversation. And in this portion, we cover a number of different things, but we usually start here with talking about the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. And we don't talk about all seven, but I usually have my guests pick one or two that really speak to them or that they have a high level of expertise in and can share their thoughts and experiences with. And one of the two pillars that you picked today, let's start with drive and accountability. Why does that pillar stand out to you as something important and something that you wanted to highlight in today's conversation? Just, uh, I mean, in terms of, of accountability and 
you know, we, we need to be accountable for, for things that we do. One thing that we, we preach within our soccer program is, you know, whether you, you make a mistake, you do something well, uh, you're going to be held a, a accountable for your action. And we want, you know, people to just say, hey, you know, I even if it's something that, that they did that's wrong, like, this is what I did. And the biggest thing from it is to learn from what you've done and be able to use that in order to hopefully not make a similar mistake in the future. But if something does arise, you know how to handle a situation because last time you didn't just pass blame on, on someone else. Um, you took responsibility and accountability for your actions. Obviously, when it comes to you know having a drive to do something, I mean, we all want to be successful in, in whatever we do. And, you know, it, it's that special something inside someone that, uh, you know, motivates them to be able to be successful. And that's what it is as being a successful coach is being able to find out what is motivating people, what is, you know, helping that drive to be the best soccer player or whatever sport that you're coaching in to try to get the best out of our, our athletes that we can. Awesome. And then the second pillar that you wanted to highlight was great communicator. What does that mean to you? And why is that so important to the pillars of success? Being able to communicate and talk to others and being able to work things out is, is a huge part of life. You know, on our soccer program, we always, at the beginning of the year, when we have our, our parent meeting, you know, we always tell the parents that we're, we're not going to discuss anything with the parents when it comes to you know things such as playing time uh, or position we want the the student athlete who is you know becoming a young adult uh, we want them to be able to come in and speak to the coaching staff and communicate any kind of if they, they believe that they should be playing more you know they want to try a new position uh, because they're not getting time at another position we expect our student athlete to come and communicate that through us we uh, we don't honor uh, parent meetings when it comes uh, to things such as that. Um, we expect our, our student athletes to do that. And uh, each year, one of my buddies, the guy who actually got me started into coaching, Ricky Rava, he has a 11 and 12-year-old soccer team currently. And I bring a couple of my high school players to coach a session. And uh, that's one of the big things that we preach to the younger players is about communication and communication on on the soccer field you know is just a, a critical aspect of being sure or making sure that everything is is working smoothly when you're out on the field and that there's no uh breakdown so uh communicating both on the field and off the field are are huge aspects of of our program and and again just something that's going to be able to help them when they uh move past our soccer program and into the future so I want to step back real quick and just focus on the portion where you talked about how you really encourage the kids and I don't want to say you force them to, but you, you want the kids to communicate if they're having an issue, whether that's related to playing time, position, whatever it is, you don't want the parents to do the talking for them. I think that's awesome. And Jeff actually talked about this too, down in here in South Carolina and his school and doing the same thing. And I think 
a lot of programs should probably follow suit because it's honestly a really important trait in the real world. Like once, once you get out of high school and you get into the workforce or once you get into college and you get into the workforce, like you have to be able to speak for yourself if you want to accomplish anything. But I have to imagine like given, for example, a ninth grader who comes in and is maybe really timid and shy and doesn't want to speak up. And maybe it's not even so much that they want their parents to do the talking for them, but they're just not there yet. How do you like coach up somebody to get to that point where they can speak for themselves or where they can ask questions without fear of retribution or anything like that? I mean, is that challenging? Do you see that happening with your student athletes? I mean, it, it definitely happens. And that's, you know, that's where, you know, the coaching staff, we work hard from day one on building that rapport. One thing that I kind of have an advantage with of being a high school coach, but teaching in the middle school is I've already started to build the rapport with the players before they get to the high school team, because I see them. I, I teach a lot of them in class and those who I don't teach, I see in the hallway. So I've already started to build that rapport with the players that hopefully they understand and know that, you know, they can come and, and, and speak to me. And if they have any kind of issues, they can be open uh, with me about that. One of my assistants uh, that I have on, on the soccer team, he is also a middle school coach for track and field. So he, too, has already built a rapport when they were younger. So when they get to the high school team for soccer, um, you know, they're pretty, you know, they have a pretty good rapport with him, too, and being able to, to you know, be open and talk to him. This year, I had the privilege of having one of my former players uh, volunteer as a, a coach. So, you know, he here's a, a kid who's a little bit younger uh, than myself and uh, my assistant. So the kids really uh, were able to open up to him as well because, um, you know, he was more, you know, here's a, a 23, 24-year-old being able to talk to him because he's, you know, a little bit more similar in age, you know, to the 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds uh, that we have. So just being able to, to start from day one and letting the team know that we do have an open line of communication, um, that they can come in and talk to us. And we'd rather them, and we told them we'd rather you come and let, you know, air things out with us than, you know, go put it on social media or go tell mom or dad to give us a call. We, we're going to respect that more uh, that you've, you know, made the decision that, hey, you're going to, you know, talk for yourself, speak for yourself, because ultimately the player is the one who is there every day. Anything that comes from, from mom or dad is all not firsthand knowledge of being at practice every single day. So uh, they don't know truly what's going on when it comes to what their, their son is doing at practice. So that's why we really want that firsthand communication coming right from the student athlete. I love it. Comes back to relationship building. And I think that is so cool that, like you said, you get to meet a lot of those kids before you even have them on the soccer team. And so that really helps you just start to open up that relationship and open up those communication lines. But yeah, super important attribute to have. And I think it's awesome that you encourage that amongst your program. But one of the other things that I, really like to learn from the guests that I have on. Obviously, as a leader, as a coach, as a teacher, as a parent, you have to be able to 
lead and facilitate, but you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you're always trying to read books, articles, different things that keep you sharp and help you learn new things. Can you share with us what some of those learning content things are and how you learn from them or what you learn from them and what they are? Certainly, Twitter is a, a huge learning environment uh, for me, whether it's you know reading uh, information about different uh, techniques to use within the classroom uh, or different coaching techniques, for sure. Just trying to, to get up to date on, on Twitter with different things that are going on. There's so much things uh, on social media that people are posting. Uh, some good things, some bad things. You got to kind of use your professional judgment as in as to what uh, is being posted out there. But certainly uh, that is one uh, aspect. Uh, I subscribe to a lot of different email newsletters. Uh, I get probably three to five emails daily from soccer and basketball, just different information on different drills um, or different aspects of sport uh, as well. I mean, even just going uh, through different books, uh, one of my favorite books is Leading with the Heart, written by my favorite coach of all time, Mike Krzyzewski from Duke University. You know, just different points that, that he uh, had in his book about being a leader with, you know, through dealing with adversity, uh, you know, being able to have a plan, but being able to adapt, taking responsibility, like we talked about earlier, and accountability. And like I just uh, touched on with just investing in your players. Uh, so, you know, those are key aspects uh, that Coach K talked about, uh, which are certainly things that I've written down after reading the book and, and try to instill in myself to, to practice each uh, and every day with my students and my players. Can you tell us what investing in your players mean, like whether that's Coach K's definition or how you've helped it evolve? I think that's really interesting. Just, you know, being part of their life and understanding that they go through things. Some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. And, you know, before you, you want to, you know, yell at a kid for not doing something the right way, make sure you understand about, you know, what's going on. We don't know sometimes what's happening in the lives of these kids at home and, and whatnot. So, just being able to uh, learn as much as you can about the players. One thing uh, I always think back is, you know, the movie uh, Remember the Titans when uh, Coach uh, Coach Boone was, you know, making the players learn something new about the other players on the team. And for our soccer team, that's something that, you know, we've tried to do also. You know, we will we'll give players uh we call them just you know bus buddies because that's who they they sit with when they're on the bus and when they're uh you know doing fundamental training skills that's who they train with and uh we try to get them to you know learn different things about each other that they may not have learned before you know as you start walking around the the field or you start listening on the bus you start to learn all those things about these players too and even the guys that i've had in class that i, I think i knew pretty well Sometimes when they get to the high school soccer team, you know, I start to learn more things about them too. So but just having that interest in them and, and you know, looking out for, for their best interest and, and always wanting them to be successful is what I talk about when I say invest in my players. Very cool. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. And so the show is called Dynamic Leaders, and there are obviously a number of different people throughout our lives that help us that really just make an impact. And 
I would love to get your thoughts as we hear some thunder rumbling in the background. I would love to hear your thoughts on who a dynamic leader is in your life and why that person stands out to you. You know, I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, obviously Coach K is an obvious one just for, you know, my passion of Duke, uh, Duke men's basketball. Uh, and I've loved Coach K uh, forever. Uh, you think about, you know, guys like uh, Bill Belichick, who was around since I can remember the Giants' first Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl Twenty One, when he was with them, and then obviously the successes he's had uh, with the New England Patriots. But ultimately, when I answer the question, I would say a dynamic leader is my dad. I mean, he was a leader in, uh, you know, working with the union electricians, uh, working with the sheriff's department, coaching football when he was when I was much younger coaching soccer, coaching basketball, coaching baseball. He was never a coach, uh, a head coach of mine, but he was always an assistant coach in there. You know, just he had a blue-collar work ethic with, you know, being a union electrician uh, that I believe he instilled in his athletes. He was a head coach for my sister uh, in soccer, so I was able to see him uh, in a head coaching capacity. Uh, when, because I was, of course, always at their practices, trying to improve myself, which actually was a huge aspect when I moved to the high school team because I was playing with all those players that my dad coached. But you know, he always held his players accountable, but he always made things fun, and that's what I talked about. That's where I first learned about being able to build a rapport with your players because he always had a good rapport, and I just remember, you know, his players would do anything, uh, and that. That's what I hope my players would do. They would do anything for him. And I, I think building that rapport, you know, even though he was hard on them and made them accountable for their actions, they always wanted to play uh, hard for him. Uh, so I think, you know, I think he defines what a dynamic leader is. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm glad Gino got a shout out here. Otherwise, I probably would never live that down having you on and not having him get a shout out. So, But yeah, so many different things that he did, like you said, with the sheriffs and uh, electricians union and different things like that. It's just really goes to show that he was well-rounded and had different attributes that he could bring to so many different professions, lives. And then on top of that, be able to coach, be a great dad and Really cool shout out. And before I let you go today, Greg, I want to give you an opportunity. I don't know if there's anything big coming up as far as soccer goes or anything in the teaching world or personally, any just last words of advice that you want to leave us with. But I will give you the floor for a couple minutes here. First of all, I just want to thank you for uh, having me on. You know, I listen to the podcast all the time and, you know, I'm always trying to give you suggestions for people to have on the podcast never did I think that I was going to be asked to be on it so uh, definitely an honor to be uh, on this side of it but uh, I am a co-founder of the North Pocono Soccer Alumni Association and as always we're, we're planning our annual um, alumni soccer game over Memorial Day weekend we've been doing it since 1996 we're the only alumni association at North Pocono High School that does something like this uh, so something that I'm really proud of and uh, also through the Alumni Association, uh, we put together a youth soccer camp. So uh, every summer, uh, I have my former players come back and then some current players uh, that come and, and help me with teaching kids grades one through eight uh, the game of soccer. And uh, we're also putting together our youth soccer night for uh, this upcoming in the fall. So 
a lot of stuff going on as I'm winding down the school year here, getting ready for the upcoming uh, fall soccer season. Just, uh, again, just an honor to be a, a part of the podcast. I love what you're doing and uh, proud of you too, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. And Greg, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or reach out maybe in regards to anything we had during our conversation today, or if they, for the first time, hear about the Alumni Association, they want to get in touch with you, whatever it might be. Is there an easy way for people to connect with you or reach out to you? Uh, sure, you can. Uh, I mean, sending an email is the easiest thing that you can do. Email address is G-A-R-C-U-R-I-E at N psd.org that's npsd for north pocono school district awesome and i'll make sure that i throw that into the show notes for people easy reference as always if they do want to get in touch but greg i know we got opening day coming up for you and the kids here in a couple hours so i really appreciate you taking some time here to chat and to share all your experiences and come on the show it's been great talking with you and i hope you've enjoyed it as well no, it was definitely a great experience. Like I said, I you know I listened to the podcast and uh, uh, gonna really look forward to uh, listening to this when you're doing great things. Thanks again to Greg for hopping on the podcast and sharing all his experiences, his expertise, and his story, especially him switching from one significantly different career to another and being able to make that switch successfully. I hope you took a lot out of that part of the conversation, but. Feel free to touch base with Greg if you have follow-up questions or you want to learn more about coaching or anything that was mentioned on the pod. Again, thank you to our sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Thank you, as always, to the listeners for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the podcast. We are growing. We are having fun. 400-plus listeners each month now. Keep leaving feedback. Keep leaving ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We are back next week. As Teacher and Coach Appreciation Month rolls along on the podcast with another guest.